Amen. Good morning. Well, we've been studying in the book of John for the last several weeks, and we are going to continue there. So if you'll turn with me to, uh, in your Bibles to page 1224. We're going to be in John chapter 4 today. Page 1224. John chapter 4. We're going to begin to read in verse 1. We're going to read quite a bit, and then we're going to come back and talk about what we think John is sharing with us and what Jesus is saying here. So starting in verse 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, then you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. So where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where the one ought to ought, I'm sorry, the place where the one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither when when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming now, the hour is coming and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So there's a lot here and a lot of things that I believe God wants us to look at today. First of all, I want to kind of set the understanding as Jesus comes to this well in Samaria, 
the Samaritans, it says the Samaritans and the Jews had nothing to do with each other, no dealings. They absolutely did not. In fact, they did not like each other at all. And they would do anything to keep from traveling through Samaria. They would go around the long way. They would just do their best to not go through Samaria. They, um, they just felt like these, this was a group of people that was lesser than them. They felt like that uh, these people were, they even called them dogs. The Jewish people called the Samaritans dogs. Now, the Samaritans didn't like the Jewish people either. But um, the, the Jewish people were really very self-righteous and uh, felt like they had the rights to godly living and all the things that, that God provided and that God wasn't interested in these people. Um, you might remember back that um, the Samaritans came out of when the ten tribes were divided. Uh, well, not the ten. The twelve tribes were divided. And ten tribes were the northern kingdom. And two tribes, Buddha, my goodness, Lord, Judah and Benjamin were the southern kingdom. So the twelve tribes became two tribes, the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms. The northern kingdoms intermarried with um, the pagan people. And so this is why the Jewish people felt like they no longer were uh, people that God cared about. God, they really thought that God only cared about them. And here Jesus is coming into a place that they would consider pagan and consider not righteous and not capable of knowing Christ. So Jesus is coming here, and so we start out, and we see that he's left Judea, and he's going to Galilee, and he says, I love this, he says, but he needed to go through Samaria. So that's what's the first thing, is that he needed to go through there. And the reason that he needed to go through there was because he wanted to meet this woman. This woman who was not considered to be righteous or godly. You know, the last couple of weeks we studied about Nicodemus. Nicodemus considered himself to be righteous. He was a ruler. He was a Pharisee. He was one of the elite of the Jewish people. He certainly considered himself to be righteous and godly and doing things right in the sight of God. And Jesus came to Nicodemus and he said, in this place where you feel so self-righteous, you need to be born again. You can't enter into the kingdom as you are. So he brought Nicodemus into an understanding that as self-righteous as he thought he was, he wasn't ready to enter into the kingdom. So he comes today to this woman who's at the well in Samaria. A woman who doesn't feel like she's worthy, who doesn't feel like she is the elite, who does feel like she's the lower people. And it's interesting because I love the things that John tells us that he helps us to see because it said he needed to go there. He needed to see her so that she would know that Jesus cares about every one of us. He cares about each and every one of us, no matter who we are or where we are. And then it says something I think is really important. Um, down in verse 6, it says, Now Jacob, uh, now Jacob's well was there. So we remember the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So Jacob, this was a very special place where uh, he dug this well, and, uh, and he did. He, uh, it had been there for many, many, many generations. But the important thing I want you to see here is it says it was about the sixth hour that the woman came. 
So about the sixth hour in Jewish time would have been around noon. Around noon. So God was reminding me when I was studying, he said, remember the things I've taught you. You know, Nicodemus came in the darkness of night. And God helped us to see the situation of understanding where Nicodemus was. That he was in darkness. He didn't know it. But he was in darkness. He was in wickedness. And he came to Jesus in the darkness. This lady is coming at noon. So I believe what God began to show me, he said, she is coming in this place that God is going to illuminate things. The noon, the time when it's bright, when the sun is up, when it's clear, when you can see clearly. So Jesus is coming to her at a time where she will be able to see clearly the things that he's going to share with her. I think it's important for us to remember that place. It's a time when truth is going to be revealed. So in verse 7, it says, A woman from, of Samaria came to draw water, and, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And the disciples have gone to town. Apparently, it took all of them to go to town to get lunch. And so they all went to town. They're going to buy, which is interesting. I did a little under, uh, research on this to understand this better because I thought they don't usually go in and out of Samaria. So, But they are. They would buy from them, but they didn't want to have relationship with them. So that's, the, that's where this falls. They've gone to town to purchase food and Jesus says to her said give me a drink and it's very interesting she says to him real quickly she says how is it that you being a Jew would ask a drink from me she's sitting there thinking you think I'm a dog you think I am the lowest scum of the earth why would you speak to me First of all, I'm a Samaritan. Second of all, I'm a woman. Why would you even ask anything from me? And, uh, and Jesus answers her, and she says, if you, uh, if you only knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is, say, is talking to you, who it is, it says, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. And then, so now he gets her attention, and she says, wow, how can you be getting water? You don't even, I see you don't even have a bucket with you, and the, and the well's really deep. How are you going to drop your bucket that you don't have down here and get water and and then it would be living water. She's very confused about how this would even be. And I think she might think that he's toying with her because she's not worthy of him even talking to her. But Jesus continues on, and he says that whoever drinks of this water, this living water, will, will never thirst again. And she says you know, give me this water. In fact, he goes on to say, not only will you never thirst again, but it will cause this, it will spring up into you, this living fountain. And she says, you know, I, I need this. I need this water. So I think the first thing that we need to look at here, and, the, and there are about four places that God really highlighted to me, and this was the first one, living water. So it's kind of important that we understand that she's pulling water out of a well. Out of a, uh, it's been dug, and, uh, and the well is, is, is right there, and it's not what is called living water because it's not running water. 
So running water would be considered living water to the Jewish people, uh, like a river was considered living water, and it would run along. And um, he's, he's using this interpretation because she would know that. She would understand that he is saying, you know, I'm going to give you water that runs, that has uh, the ability to move. And so I think it's important that we begin by looking at this, but I also want us to understand what Jesus was saying to her by using this term of living water. You know, one of the things that's important, and we've learned and talked about this many times, is that when we talk about a term, we want to use the Bible to define those terms. We want to not just assume that we know something, but we want to use the Bible to determine that. So turn with me, leave your marker here, we'll come right back a couple of pages over to John 7. And we're going to see Jesus uses this again. John writes of it again, and he helps us to understand a little more of what Jesus is calling living water. I was thinking about it today as we come here, and I was wondering if anyone here is thirsty. In this place of thirsty. I hope that we can see today that that is a call for us to all decide if we are thirsty if we want to drink from him. So starting in verse 37, it says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart flows rivers of living water. So there's that understanding right there. This understanding that the Jewish people had that the living water was a river and he's saying that if you're thirsty to come and drink but he says come to me and drink and he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus is defining exactly what the living waters that he's talking to the Samaritan woman about is the Holy Spirit. So John's telling us right here that he spoke concerning the Spirit. So living waters, the rivers of living waters, that is the Spirit. Now, I want us to look at where this comes from because he says right here, he says, uh, he who believes in me as the Scripture has said. So hold your place right here and let's turn over to page 1015. And it's Ezekiel 47. You know, sometimes we think the Bible is hard to understand, but we don't understand sometimes all the pieces. And God taught me many years ago, you have to begin to search out all that is highlighted to you so that the scripture does come to life and does have meaning. And, you know, there's a great Psalms, and it's, uh, um, no, I'm sorry, Proverbs, Proverbs 25, 2, and it says, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, concealed in his word. It's the glory of kings to search it out. So as we come and search out these understandings, so Ezekiel, on page 1015, Ezekiel 47, and we're going to read starting in verse 8. Then he said to me, the water flows towards the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. When it reaches the seas, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the river goes, will live. 
And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the river goes, will live. There will be a very large multitude of fish because these waters go there. For they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. So what Jesus is talking about is that the scriptures were talking about him. He's a picture of the river. The Holy Spirit is a picture of the river. So he's talking in this, in this place right here in verse 38 on John John chapter um, 8, verse 38 says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. He who believes in me, he will give this Spirit of the living waters, and it will flow out of you, and everything it touches will be healed. Healed, spiritually healed. All right. I want to look a little more to understand. Turn with me to John 14. It's a few pages over, page 1242. John 14. So if Jesus is talking to her about the living water and that this will answer her thirst, then we want to understand what this Holy Spirit is looking like in this understanding that Jesus is saying here. So looking in verse 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is saying to them, first in verse 15, he's saying, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And then he says, I will pray that the Father, and he, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. That another helper is one that looks just like Jesus. And it, it is a place that, of one that walks beside you. So the Holy Spirit is one that speaks like Jesus speaks, but one that walks beside you. That is this river. Now drop down to verse 23. And Jesus is answering and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which, my, which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So Jesus is saying his words, his commandments, if you love me, you're going to keep the words. Which words? The, my Father's words. He's talking about the scriptures of the Old Testament, if you love him. But he goes on to say again, he says this again, um, in verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. So Jesus has called us to come and to walk in his truths. But he has promised us that if we truly believe in him, 
and drink of this river, the Holy Spirit will teach us and guide us in how to walk out his word, his laws, his truth, his commandments. It will fill you up. It will fill you up. All right, I want to turn back to John 4. I want to continue on. I want to show you a couple of things. So that's the first thing that God really highlighted, that what he's coming to this woman is telling her that if she's thirsty, he will give her a drink that will fill her up to be able to understand and walk in his ways and in his truths. All right? Then the next thing I want to drop down and look at the next thing that Jesus begins to talk to her about after he tells her this. Because she's now interested. In verse 15, the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Then Jesus says to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. So I want to tell you a couple of things. There is a lot of, of commentaries and a lot of teaching out here that talk about this woman from Samaria, this woman at the well. And most of it, most of them would believe and tell you that this woman was a, a prostitute and that she had had multiple husbands and that the person she's living with is not even her husband now. And um, I see that, that they're pulling that from this scripture right here. But I want to tell you, I don't think that's what the scripture says. I don't think this woman was a prostitute. I think she had a situation that her life was very difficult. And I think God began to help me see that I believe this woman had been divorced or her husbands had died. So in the Old Testament understanding of which the Jewish people followed, but the Samaritans also followed. The Samaritans believed in the first five books of our Bible. They kept, they believed in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what the Samaritans believed and kept. But they didn't believe in the laws of the prof, I mean the prophets over here and the Psalms. But this woman was under Samaritan law. And so I think that it's probably alluding to the fact that some difficult things had happened in her life. Possibly she had married and her first husband died. According to the law, then the brother had to come in and marry her. And if something happened to him, then the next brother had to come in and marry her. And this was God's way of preserving this family is that the brothers would take her on as their own wife. In fact, the Jewish, the Jewish Pharisees came and tried to trick Jesus one time about that very thing. And they said, what happens if a woman marries the brother and he dies and then the, the brother has to marry her and he dies? And this goes on for actually, it says seven times, whose husband is she in heaven? And they were trying to, you know, say, how's this going to work out when they all get to heaven? Who she belong to? And Jesus says, listen, you don't have to worry about because there's not going to be this place of marriage like we have here in heaven. But I think it's possible that this woman had been in that situation where she had been passed down and passed down. Maybe she was even divorced. But here's the thing, if she was divorced, it wasn't her choice because women didn't have the right to get divorced. It was only a male's 
opportunity to come and decide that they wanted to be divorced. So maybe she's been divorced several times. Maybe the man that she's living with is a brother. Maybe it's someone that is looking after her. But what I want you to know right here that I think is so important is that we can't jump to conclusions that are not here. Jesus in no way comes and speaks to the fact that she's in sin. Never once does he say anything about her being in sin. Nor does he say in any way, go and sin no more like he does to other people. So what he is talking to her about is something that I think we miss when we get focused on whether or not she was living in sin. And that is that she was thirsty. I think she was worn out. She's come to the well to do what she has to do every day and get the water and take back. I did a little reading. It says this well is about a half a mile from Samaria. So it would take her almost a full morning to walk, get the well, water, and come back. It wasn't just a quick down-the-road thing. She's tired. She's thirsty. And what God what Jesus is giving to her is what she needs in this time in her life when she is so empty. She needs to be filled up. He's saying the only thing that will fill you up is my spirit. Because I want you to see what he goes on to tell her. She kind of begins to say, she says, well, I see you're a prophet. So all of a sudden, everything's beginning to uh, shake her a little bit. And she says, wow, how did you know this? And um, then she says to him in verse 20, she said, our fathers worship on, the, on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she's kind of seeing what he might say. She's saying, you know, we worship in Samaria now. We used to go to Jerusalem when we weren't divided out, but now we're separated out. And so we worship up here, and, and we've made our own temple, and this is what we do up here. And, and But the Jewish people, they say you've got to go to Jerusalem. And so she's just seeing what a prophet might tell her about this. It's really interesting what Jesus says in verse 21. Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship, when you will neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem worship the Father. He's saying the time is coming when it won't be about a physical building. And it won't be about the building in Samaria, and it won't be about the building and the temple in Jerusalem. It will be different from that. The hour's coming. And then he goes on and he says, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. He's saying you've lost sight. You've joined up with these pagan ways. This is where Jesus' concern is. You're worshiping over here in this way. And he says, you don't even know what you're worshiping. Then he says, the, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, that's really a great word. Uh, that word in the Hebrew was actually, is actually capitalized. It's bold. It's emphasized, true. So what Jesus is saying here, so the hour is coming when real worshipers, those who are sincere, those who are really committed to be worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit 
and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. He's saying what's important here, sweet lady, is that the Holy Spirit would come into you that could take you in to this great understanding of what the Father is really looking for. And that would be someone who would worship in spirit and in truth. We hear this said a lot of times, that, well, we worship in spirit and truth. That is so misguided, I believe. And I love the things that God has shown me and that I can share with you. For one thing, a lot of times people will talk about worshiping in the spirit and what that might look like. And, and a lot of times that has this um, feeling of action, of being uh, really free with how you worship. And, uh, and it gives some connotation to maybe the style of worship. I want to tell you, I don't think that's at all what this is talking about. So God asked me to begin to look up this word worship. So in the very first time that he's talking about it, he says, you don't know how you're, you don't even know what you're worshiping. You don't even know what you're doing here. And then he uses this again, and he says, you know, the true worshipers, they will worship the Father in spirit. So this place of worship, when I looked this word up, means to go down on my knees. So we, we talk about, and, and, and I do this too, I say, you know, are you going to be at worship tomorrow? But when I began to look at this understanding of what worship is, I thought, man, we just, we just make our own decisions about what words should sound, say and what they mean. And, and, and we don't understand. So when Jesus is talking to this Samaritan, she says, he says, you don't even know. And I thought, man, that is us. Lord, without your help, we don't know. Without your Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us and drawing us into things, we don't understand. And he's saying, yes, this place of worship, it means to bow down on your knees, to go down on your knees. But the greater understanding actually means to be prostrate and to kiss the ground, to lay on the ground to get down on your knees and then lay down in a way that you could even kiss the ground. Worship. It means that this would be because you adore, you revere. You love This is what Jesus is talking to this lady about. He says, you're thirsty, you're empty. You need to be filled up with living water of the Holy Spirit that will be able to bring you into what it says here, true worshipers. That when you come to worship, no, no, no. Not just here, daily. Every hour, when you worship the Lord, your spirit is in a bowed down place, kissing the ground, adoring who he is, revering the Most High God. You see, I, nowhere does it talk about worship being in this place of meeting together, as we would call corporate worship. Yes, there is a place for that, and absolutely. But I believe what Jesus is saying to her is that true worshiper, this is a place that you live. This is a place that your spirit has aligned in such a close place with the Father that you live bowed down. You live adoring him. 
You are thirsty for him. And in this place, God will fill you up. He goes on to say, he says, in this place, the hour will come and is coming and, is, and, and now is when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then he goes on and he says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You see, this is the message that Jesus is trying to bring to this lady. That wherever she is in a desperate place of life, she needs to be filled up with him. Spirit and truth. God is spirit. And I I believe that next week we may look at this understanding of spirit a little deeper and uh, go a little further into what it really might mean to walk in the spirit. But I want to take you just to a couple of places and, and look at Romans. So keep your marker here and look at Romans 8. It's on page 1300. While you're turning there, I, I want to tell you I did a little research on this term, spirit and truth. And um, the, the understanding in the Greek is these two go together. It's not spirit and truth. It's not that. It's spirit and truth so funny I was asking the Lord about this and I said Lord help me to understand how to see this because he said this is together you've got to see this and and so I was washing uh, towels and drying towels and folding towels yesterday and the Lord said it's like like the towels I was like okay he said clean and fresh so the towels were clean and the towels were clean, fresh, but the towels were clean and fresh. So there could be a place that you could say the towels were clean. But you wouldn't have the full understanding, right? And you could say the towels were fresh, but you wouldn't have the full understanding. But if you came and said the, clean, the towels are clean and fresh, it gives you a picture more fully of the towels does that make sense so in that regard that is how this is of spirit and truth they go together they work together and without seeing that you're going to miss what God is about to show us okay So he's asking us to be worshipers who are bowed down and worship in spirit and truth. To get a little better understanding, let's go to Galatians, I mean, I'm sorry, Romans 8. And starting in verse 1, it says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus was, has made me free from the law of sin and death. So he's saying you won't bow down to the things that brought you death and sin if you're walking in the Spirit and not in your own flesh. 
Now skip down to verse 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, that means your own way, your own flesh. It says, For to be carnally minded is death. So to do your own way, to be in your own own understanding, to live as you want to live, it's death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity. It's an enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You remember a couple of weeks ago, Joe taught us and we looked at uh, um, John 3 and he told Nicodemus, he said, you've got to be born again. You've got to be a new creation. You can't remain who you are. You've got to come and be born of the Spirit. Now he's helping us to understand what that looks like. It's taking us into the deeper waters to understand exactly what he's trying to say here. He's saying you can't live in the Spirit unless you have this living water. You can't do it. You have to have the Holy Spirit who is going to guide you and help you to walk in my commandments and in my truths. And in that place, then the law of sin and death, when you fall into the place of sin, it's not going to have any authority over you anymore. You're going to be able to walk out of that sin. You're going to be able to not align with that sin anymore. And death will no longer reign over you. But if you remain in the flesh... It says you are an enemy of God and death has every right. And it says you cannot please God if you're in your own way. Spirit. God is spirit. He has a way. And he has his own laws and his own purpose for all things. Truth. Let's look at truth. What is truth? Spirit and truth. So the Bible defines that for us. And um, if you'll turn with me to John 14. So a few pages over from John 3. John 14, verse 6. It's on page 1241. Page 1241, John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Truth. So Jesus is saying to this woman, come and bow down and worship in spirit, not in your own ideas, not in your own ways, but in God's ways, aligning with him in spirit and Jesus in truth. And Jesus says, well, I am truth. Okay, so we begin to understand a little more about this, but I think we get a little better understanding looking at Psalms 119, page 709. Psalms 119, verse 142, it's page 709. 
verse 142 says, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. If you drop down to the end of the page, in one, verse 151, it says, You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. So what God is saying, what Jesus is saying to this woman is that you can't align with your own will and your own ideas and your own spirit and your own ways and worship in truth. Truth is his laws. Truth is his commandments. In John 17, 17, it, Jesus says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. I want you to turn with me to one last scripture. It's First Thessalonians on page 1359. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, page 1359, verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing and helping us to understand we have a spirit and we have a soul and we have a body. I believe what Jesus is saying to this woman at the well is God is spirit, but you have a spirit also. But God's spirit aligns with the spirit of truth. I believe, did we read that while ago in verse, um, in chapter John 14, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Looking back in this place of John 3, I'm, so, I'm sorry, John 4, I want you to listen to this. What we just read in verse 23 but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. I believe what Jesus is saying here to the woman in the well and to us today is as we come to worship every day, bow down to him. Not just when we come on Sundays or Friday nights. But bow down in our spirit, in our spirit, that our spirit would align with the spirit of God. And that spirit would be in alignment with truth. That our spirit would be in alignment with his spirit. You have a spirit. You have a soul, you have a body. That spirit can align with God or it can align with the enemy. And that's what Romans is telling us. When it aligns with the enemy, when your spirit aligns with the enemy, the actions that come out of your body and out of your mind and out of your words and out of the things you do that affect your soul and your body is because your spirit is aligned with the flesh over here with the enemy. Jesus is saying to this woman that God is looking for worshipers that will align with his 
who God is. The spirit God is. He is spirit. And the truth of who he is that's defined in his word. I wrote this down yesterday as God was giving it to me. And it says, worshiping in spirit is when our spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, aligns our hearts, our minds, and our bodies controlling our thoughts and actions with the truth of who God is and plainly stated in his word, his holiness. True worshipers bow down, totally submitted to who he is. The last thing that Jesus says to us today was in verse 26 Jesus said to her I am who speaks to you I'm sorry I who speak to you am he she was saying that you know the Messiah is coming and one day he'll explain all things and he's saying no he says I'm he and in fact if you look this up in the Greek it doesn't say it like that at all it says I am the one speaking to you. He's identifying himself with God. And he's saying to her, you don't have to wait on the Messiah to tell you, I'm here and I'm telling you today. This is what the Father is looking for. Those who would work, worship him in spirit and truth. I pray that this would have a deep place over you as I searched through and, and, and studied all week and, and even yesterday, um, I could see the very shallow parts of it throughout the whole week. And I could have some understanding. But yesterday, all of a sudden, late in the afternoon, I was just praying and I said, Lord, I just want to understand the fullness of what you're saying here. And then it was just like it just exactly as it said, it just sprang forth as a fountain. And I thought, yes, this living water It just began to gush out, and I began to see it. And I thought, oh, Lord, I see this. I don't know that I can explain it, but I see it. I see what you're calling us to. I see this place of being bowed down, kissing the ground of where you are. Of seeing this holiness. Of seeing your commandments. Of seeing... of seeing you, of being thirsty for you. I don't know that I can explain it. I could see it. And he said, yes, you can explain it. Only when someone is thirsty that they want that deeper place, that they will cry out and I will give it to them. He goes on in the next few verses, and you can read about that this week. And she goes running into the town, and she says, Oh, come and see this man. He knows all things. And Jesus stayed in the town of Samaria for a couple of more days. And the town all came to know Jesus. And I thought, yes, out of her flowed this living water. And the town, everything it touched, everything the river touches, was healed. Ah, the power, the love, the mercy of our Christ. Stand with me.